All right, so let me open up with a little story here about a man named Joshua Bell, who um, emerged on the Washington, D.C. metro and positioned himself against a wall beside a trash can, uh, just a young man wearing jeans, a long sleeve shirt, and a ball cap. Um, and from a small case, he removed a violin. And placing the open case uh, at his feet, he threw a few dollars in uh, just to, as seed money, money, and he began to play. And for the next 45 minutes, he, he, he played Mozart, he played Schubert. Um, and a thousand people walked past him as he played. Most of them hardly, hardly noticed at all. Um, and, and they didn't recognize the man. They didn't recognize that the violin he was using was a rare Stradivarius worth $3 million. It was all part of a project arranged by the Washington Post. They wanted uh, in what they called an experiment in context, perception, and priorities, as well as an unblinking assessment of public taste. The Washington Post wanted to know in a banal setting, a boring setting, at an inconvenient time, would beauty transcend? See, just three days before, this same man, Joshua Bell, had sold out the Boston Symphony Hall at $100 a seat. And now here in the subway, he played for 45 minutes, and he raised a total of $32 from 27 people. Most people had no idea what was going on. Most people just walked on by. 2,000 years ago, God entered our dark world, and most people didn't notice. And even to this day, some people might throw them a tip, you know, attend a Christmas Eve service, you know, put up a nativity scene, but do we really know who he is and what he did 2,000 years ago? I want to take us uh, to John chapter 1 today, uh, one of the, in my mind, one of the greatest passages of the whole Bible, which I feel so uh, unworthy of preaching on today. Um, but, but I want to read it, John, just, just the first five verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, with the, he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So here entering this Christmas season, uh, I wanted, I wanted to, to call the sermon, What Child Is This? But, you know, look at the text and what child? What, what child? There is no child. There is no Mary. There is no Joseph. There is no shepherds. There is no wise men. There is no, no baby in a manger. You know, none of this. And, and, and this is a Christmas story according to John. Matthew and Luke, who uh, supply us with much of the, the details about the Christmas story, the nativity scene, the conception of, of Jesus, and, and, and the birth of Jesus, the shepherds, the wise men. Uh, Matthew and Luke tell us all these details. Mark skips all that. Uh, he just he goes right to John the Baptist and, and the baptism of, of Jesus. Uh, John begins his gospel with the first 18 verses, this prologue 
what I consider one of the most pro- profound passages in the, entire, in the entire Bible, John Calvin says this more than our, what our minds can take. J.I. Packer, he says the Church of England reads it annually at, as the gospel for Christmas Day. And rightly so. Nowhere in the New Testament is the nature and meaning of Jesus, Jesus' divine sonship, so clearly explained as here. So this is the reading for Christmas Day. I should have saved it for later, but it, it, uh, this is where we're starting right now. Um, but, but Matthew and Luke, when you think about the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, and what they do, they emphasize the, the humanity of Jesus without compromising his deity. And John emphasizes the deity of Jesus without minimizing his humanity. Um, and it begins, the, the first words, in the beginning. Where have you heard those words before? In the beginning. And I'm thinking, did John, is he plagiarizing Genesis? Um, is that what he's going, is, or, you know, is it coincidence that he begins with these words? Or is he purposely beginning within the beginning, calling our attention to the very creation of the world? And, and, and let me ask you this. What instrument did God use in creating everything? It was his word. He spoke. He said, let there be light. He said, let, the, let there be sun to rule the, the day and moon to rule the night. He said, let there be plants. Let there be animals. He said it and it happened. His word. It, it says in uh, Psalm 33 verse 6, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host, by the breath of his mouth. Genesis 1, God created the world through his word. It goes on, in the beginning was the word. Right, stop right there. You see that the word, we're talking about the word here, is eternal. The word is eternal. Has no beginning, no end. In John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, not in the beginning the word came to be, not... Uh, in the beginning, God created the word. No, no, it, it had always been. In the beginning was a word. All at, at the very beginning of time, the word was already in existence. He was with God in the beginning is what it says in verse 2. So the word is eternal. And the word, the other thing you need to see about the word is God. John 1, 1 says the word was with God. And that word with literally means face to face with God. Not like Batman and Robin, not like a sidekick, you know, no, this is on equal terms. Uh, he was equal with God. He's in, in, in essence, he is God. John 1 1 says the word was, was with God and was God. Very God of very God. Not a God, as some religions would, would have you believe that, that the word was a God, but not the God. No, it's, this is the God of the universe. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And, and this is interesting to me. That, 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 um, and I don't know if I'm going to lose you guys on this. I, I don't want to bore you. Um, but when it says the Word was, was God, in the Greek, that's not past tense. In the Greek, it's in perfect tense, which, which is a sense of continuation. And, and, and like uh, I read this here, a literal translation would be, in the beginning was the continu- continuing word, and the word was continuing with God, and the word was continually God. Now, to put it in my words, um, the word always was wasing. 
okay? That's what that means. There always was wasing. It, it, it's not, it didn't just begin. It didn't just happen right at the, in the beginning. No, it, it's always been. The word has always been eternal. It's God, the creator. It goes on verse 3. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. What does that mean? If it was made, it was made by the word. And, and, and verse 4 tells us that the word is the source of life. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. This, it's the source of life. It's the light of men. And then we get to verse 14, one of the most profound, most important verses in the whole Bible. And the word became flesh. We're talking about the incarnation here, God becoming flesh. God became man. The Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word is Jesus. Did you miss that before? Could you see it? Did you see it coming? I mean, this is, this is incredible. The Word is Jesus. This is the entire Christmas story according to John. No, you don't need the wise men. You don't need the shepherds. You don't need the angels. You don't, John, he skips all that. You know, just skip the eggnog. Let's get straight to Jesus. The Jesus who is God. Jesus is eternal. He, he's, he's always been here before the creation of the world. Jesus is God. John is emphatic about this. What, what it took John three years to learn, he tells us in three verses. Jesus is God. And, and you see this you know, throughout, throughout the Gospel of John. I can show you so many verses on this here. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Can you say it any clearer than that? In John 5, verse 18, For this reason the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was, was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. It says in John 8, verse 58, This is what Jesus says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. That's a clear statement. He's claiming to be God. In, in John 14, verse 9, when, when Philip said, show us the Father, he says, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've, I've been with you uh, all this time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And, and one woman in a Bible study says, well, you know, it's, 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 if I didn't know any better, I'd think that Jesus is claiming to be God. Yes! That's exactly what Jesus is saying. He is God. He is the creator of all things. And, 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 and so many other verses back this up. In, in, in Colossians chapter 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him, including you. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 5 says, There is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things come and through whom we live. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator of all things. Jesus is our life. And, and he, he talks about, you know, Satan only comes to, to kill and destroy. I have come so that you may have life and have it to the full. We don't even understand life until we understand Jesus. Just as he brought life to creation, he brings life to us. While, when we were dead in our transgressions, 
I think that's the significance when I look at the Gospel of John. In the beginning, how from nothing you have everything created, you know, life is being created, and you and I, who before Jesus, we were nothing, and then Jesus comes into our life, and we have life. We become God's beautiful creation when we get to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The Word is Jesus. He's eternal. He is God. He's the creator of all things. He is our life. He's the light of the world. And when you think about light, light is a source of power, is a source of energy. It's our source of understanding and comprehension when, when, when something comes to light. It's, it's what makes things beautiful. Before the light comes, everything's just dark and ugly and dull and black, and you, you, can't, you can't see color. You can't see, there's no distinction. You just, you can't see. And then the light comes, and then you can see everything beautiful. Everything beautiful. Light brings life. Light overcomes darkness. When the lights are on, you can see things. You can avoid dangers. And Jesus is that light. He illuminates our lives. He helps guides us through the darkness. He makes perfect sense of our relationships. We understand who we are in him. The word is Jesus. Jesus is the word. It says in Revelation 19, verse 13, he, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. This is at the second coming, by the way. When Jesus is, is coming back, this is how he's described in Revelation. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. I would say Mr. Word of God, okay? Mr. Word of God. This is Jesus. And, 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 and did you see this? The Word became flesh. What does it say in verse 14? The Word became flesh. That's the incarnation. And then don't miss this next part. And made his dwelling among us. Made his dwelling with us. And, and, and that is, that to me, this is huge. I don't know if I can explain this, but the word dwelling is the, in, in, in Hebrew, it's the same word for tabernacle. Jesus is the tabernacle of God. You, you know what tabernacle, the tabernacle before the temple. When they, when they went to, as they, as they left Egypt, they built a tabernacle to, to house the presence of God, the glory of God. And the glory of God went with the Israelites as they were going into the promised land. And eventually the tabernacle was replaced with the temple. But before the temple was the tabernacle, the presence of God going with the Israelites. The glory of God going with the Israelites. Jesus is the glory of God going with us. He made his dwelling with us. He's the tabernacle in our life. The glory of God in our life, the presence of God in our life. Jesus is a tabernacle of God. Jesus made his tabernacle with us, his home with us. And, and I read this. I thought this was interesting. Edwin Abbott, he's a professor of math, math uh, in the 19th century. He writes this book called Flatlands. Have you ever heard of this book called Flatlands? Um, in which all of creation is only two-dimensional. This is you know, his book, the whole creation, all two-dimensional. And, and the way he explained us in his two-dimensional world, we're all dots. Um, well, God, who created the two-dimensional world, is not two-dimensional. He's three-dimensional. Um, he's, uh, in, in, in his book, he describes God as being a three-dimensional sphere, like, like, kind of like a basketball thing. Imagine a basketball. And he wanted to, God wants to reveal himself to his two-dimensional 
um, dots, his creation of two-dimensional dots. He wants to reveal his three-dimensional presence to these two-dimensional people. How do you do that in this book called Flatlands? Um, he can't just describe himself because these, these dots would have no capacity to understand his three-dimensionalism, right? So he, desi- he decides to pass through their plane, their, their world. And what does that look like? It looks like a dot that enlarges and then goes back to a little dot. Imagine the poor little dots in this plane trying to explain what just happened. How do, how do they comprehend this? How, how much more uh, we humans, Professor Abbott says, as, as finite beings trying to comprehend the, an in, incompre, incomprehensible God. It's, it's, we can't understand who God is in our little you know, two-dimensional world. We cannot comprehend all that God is. So he tries to make himself known to us through the man Jesus, who, God, through God, Jesus, who becomes flesh and makes his dwelling among us. I just, I, I'm just in awe of this passage. I, I go back to, I don't think there's no way I can explain this passage um, and do it justice. I'm just hoping you guys will be in awe with me in this passage. But, but I got a few questions for us as, as, at this point here. What is, what's significant about the incarnation of, of Jesus Christ? What, what's, what's significant? What's the importance of the incarnation? And I've got a couple answers here. Um, I got five um, that I want you to think. I think there's probably so many more. But one, the incarnation was necessary to fulfill the Old Testament scriptures. Let's start right there. Um, In the Old Testament, um, it was prophesied that the Messiah would be from the line of David, a descendant of Abraham. So the Messiah would be a man. But it was also prophesied that he would be eternal. He would be God. And you see this in a couple of verses in Genesis 22. I, I, I shared these verses last week. In, in Genesis 22, verse 18, uh, through your offspring, talking about Abraham, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed, talking about Jesus. Abraham, through your offspring, all nations will be blessed, through Jesus. So, so he's going to be human. But Isaiah chapter 9, this is what Isaiah says. He says, for, us, for unto us a child is born, that's human, and to us a son is given, that's deity, And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. You don't call a human Mighty God unless he is Mighty God, Uh, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So so in the prophecies, you you can see that he's a man, but he's he's also God. How do you do that? Jesus, he's the answer to that. Micah 5, verse 2, you, Bethlehem, through you, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Like before the beginning, talking about Jesus, the Messiah. The, 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 the Old Testament scriptures are full with, of these prophecies that was pointing to it all the time, but we just couldn't understand it because we're just dots that can't comprehend who God is. Um, so first of all, it was to fulfill Old Testament scripture. Secondly, it was, it was necessary to provide the perfect sacrifice. Um, 
If you know in the Old Testament, you know, they, they, they sacrificed lambs and bulls and all these things. Um, it says in Leviticus that God, God says, I've given you the blood for atonement for your sins. Um, so they would, they would sacrifice bulls and, and sheep or whatever to make atonement for their sins. Um, but it wasn't sufficient. It wasn't good enough. It tells us this in Hebrews 10. Those sacrifices are, are annual reminders of sin because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. Not an animal, but a body. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scrolls. I have come to do your will, O God. Jesus became, becomes the perfect sacrifice. The only, only way to make atonement for your sins, a, a sheep's not going to do it. A bull's not going to do it. You need real blood. You need human blood, which really means your blood. But Jesus says, but I'll make an exception. I will we'll use my blood instead of your blood. See, but the, the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. Because I've sinned, I deserve to die. And the only way that's going to take that away is the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you understand how important that is? That's why Jesus had to come to this earth. That's, it's hard to understand. I know that. But it says in, in 1 John 4, verse 10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It says in Romans 3, verse 22, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory, glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. It's the only cure for sin. Do you see that? Do you understand that? This is in John chapter 1, the end of the chapter, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the only perfect sacrifice. This is why God had to become flesh. I'll give you a third reason why the, the, the incarnation is so important. So that Jesus could become the perfect high priest. It talks about this in Hebrews. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He can, he can identify with you. He knows what life is all about. He knows how hard life is. He knows what temptation is. He, he's experienced everything you've experienced. So he can go to his Father in heaven, and he can be the, the mediator for you. Um, he understands you. Is what to, he, maybe, maybe before Jesus came to this earth, you know, you would think there's no way he can come. He's God. I'm human. He can't relate. I can't relate. And Jesus says, well, let me fix that. I will come to this earth. I will be a man. I will live like a man so I can understand exactly what you're going through. So I will be able to mediate for you. It talks about this here with Hebrews 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. He's just like you are. 
but without sin. It says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, and that's the man Christ Jesus. One mediator. And if you don't think you need a mediator to approach a holy God, then you're, you're, you're greatly mistaken. We are an unholy people. He is such a holy God, and Jesus is the mediator between us. He, he's the one who makes a way so we can have relationship with God. And notice, notice something else here. He comes uh, to, to make known grace and truth. It's John 1 verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I, I want you to know this about our God, our creator. He is full of grace and truth, not just truth. Uh, and he is full of truth, but also grace. If it weren't for Jesus, we wouldn't know this. And, and a lot of times, you know, I think, I think we have this idea of religions. Some religions are just full of truth but no grace. And, and, and they make people kind of nauseous, you know. Um, some religions are all grace but no truth. Where anything goes, you know, God, God is love, just do anything you want. It really is that, is that what the Bible teaches here. Jesus was both full of grace and truth. The truth didn't cancel out the grace. The grace didn't compromise the truth. Jesus told us exactly what God's righteous standards were. And then he died in our place. He lived out the standards. He didn't lower God's standards. He didn't grade on a curve. He lived them out fully, died in our place, so you and I would not perish. And I want you to notice something here. When it says that, that, that the word became flesh, full of grace and truth, I want you to notice, this is huge to me, grace stands out before truth. He didn't say full of truth and grace. He says full of grace and truth. That's huge to me. Is that coincidence that it says it like that? I don't think so. Uh, the, 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 the emphasis is on grace. In him we see how God truly feels about sinners. He doesn't want us to perish. He wants us to have life. He wants us to experience life. He takes no pleasure, the Bible says, in the death of the wicked. He takes delight in mercy and in repentance. In Luke 15, it talks about how the angels rejoice in heaven. There was more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 who are already his. And I already just misspoke that, that the angels rejoice. It's not what it says. It doesn't say the angels rejoice. It says there's more rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. And maybe it's not the angels who are rejoicing. We always say that when a baptism happens, the angels are rejoicing. It doesn't say the angels rejoice. But there is rejoicing in heaven. I think it's God who's rejoicing in front of the angels. And the angels are thinking, what's, what's going on here? God's doing this dance. You know, yes, 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 another one's saved. And the angels are like, what? Yeah, that's what I think is going on here. But in Jesus, we see God cares about sinners. The woman who was caught in adultery. Zacchaeus, you know, tax, the tax collector. The, the lepers who nobody would touch, nobody would come near. Uh, sinners and tax collectors. Jesus is full of grace and truth. This is the God that we worship. And one more thing, we see that he wants to be with us. How huge is that? You might not want to be with him, but he so desperately wants to be with you. See this in John 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, Jesus Christ, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. You know, we often say at this time of the year, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season. 
Maybe we got that wrong. No, Jesus isn't the reason for the season. You are the reason for the season. You are the reason he came to this earth. Satan has tried so hard to put a wedge between man and God. He did it in the garden. He did it, you know, he tried to, he tried to tempt Jesus uh, in, in the wilderness. Satan wants nothing more than to drive a wedge between you and God. And Jesus wants nothing more than to build a bridge between you and God. The incarnation of our Lord made possible the union of man with God in a way that no one could have ever imagined. No one would have ever fathomed this. One more passage I want to give you, John 1, verse 10 through 13. It says, He was in the world and through the world was, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Verse 11 says, He came to which, that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. That could be talking about the Jews, but I'm thinking it's talking about all of us. We all, we're all his property. He created us all. Yet it says in verse 12, Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Do you see how awesome that is? You and I, sinners, and, and I mean, I, we, we can list our sins. I can tell you how terrible I am. And yet, through Jesus Christ, I have the right to become a child of God. I don't deserve that. I'm not worthy of that. You're not worthy of that. None of us are. But Jesus became flesh so that you could become God's child. That's what it's all about. You know, you read Matthew, you read Luke, you know, Mary, you know, she treasured all this in her heart. She pondered all this. I'm telling you, read the Gospel of John. Just the first few verses here. Don't we have something to treasure? Don't we have something here we should ponder a little bit? The babe in the manger is none other than God. The one whom the Magi were led by a star was the very one who made the stars. 